Thank you for listening to the Resting Place Church podcast. Our dream is that your heart would find rest as we learn to practice the ways of Jesus faithfully. So we hope this message both blesses and encourages you. I want to jump right into part three of our series this morning called Our Sacred Rhythm. And it's really, really cool because I've, I've been able to kind of dive into the first two parts of what we call our ways of life at this church. And if you want to know about those, you can go back and you can watch those uh, YouTube uh, sermons or you can listen to them on the podcast. But um, today we're going to talk about prioritizing family. That's the third way of life that we have here at Resting Place Church, and I just want to kind of dive into why we say that and what it means for us, and because prioritizing family can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, so I just want to be abundantly clear about what we mean by that, and so uh, I want to go to Exodus chapter 29 this morning, and then we're going to go to Matthew 11, and then we may go to some other places, but Exodus 29, and I know some of you may be in the room today, and you, you may say, I, I don't have a family yet, or I don't, I, I don't have people that I consider close to me, or I'm not married yet, like well, I don't have any kids, so this really doesn't to apply to me, and I think that's the biggest mistake that you can make. If you're sitting in the room and you don't have a family, you don't have kids, this doesn't really apply to you in this season of life, that does not mean it won't ever. That doesn't mean that in future seasons to come that you won't have a family. And I found the most helpful thing for me in marriage was listening to as many sermons on marriage as possible before I got married. And so this, just take this as a word for you today, whether you have a family or not. So Exodus 29 says this, it says, Aaron's sacred garments must be preserved for his descendants who succeed him. Listen to this. And they will, they will wear them. They will wear them, meaning more than one. They will wear them. Not they might wear them, they will wear them. And when, they're, when they are anointed and ordained, the descendant who succeeds him as the high priest will wear the clothes for seven days as he ministers in the tabernacle and the holy place. This is what Matthew 11 says. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I pray that you would show us why it's so important to think generationally this morning. It's not enough to be conscious of the next generation, but show us why it's important to always have our attention turned to those who are coming after us. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word in your name. Amen. Amen. Jake, you are good this morning. Everybody give it up for Jake in the house. Jake, you got some organ for me? I might get preachy this morning, so if, it, if you get to feeling it, if you get to feeling it, just hop up on there and hit me with an F or something. I don't know what, what key that's in or what even sound it makes. I just know I hear them talk about it. 
Amen. A C or a G. Um, amen. Amen. Our God is a God of generations. Our God is a God of generations. When you read the Bible, if you come away from the text and you think that God is only concerned with you and your life right here, right now, I would suggest maybe a revisitation and maybe reading with a bit more uh, attention to detail. Because over the course of Scripture, this is how God refers to himself often. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of generations. I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob. And, and this is what I think that God is trying to communicate to us when he identifies himself like this, that, that he thinks in threes. He doesn't just think about you and your family but he thinks about you and your family and your family's family. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is something that you need to know about this church. If you're, if you're here for the first time this morning or you're watching online for the first time, you need to know that we are in a series talking about our church's ways of life. And so something that you need to know about this church is that we are going to prioritize family here. We're going to prioritize family. And what that means is, is that our, we always have our eyes turned to those who are coming after us. We always have our eyes turned to the people that are in the kids' department right now. Right? Can I show you how like, I, God is a God of generations? We have people in this room that are old enough to be some of your parents and grandparents. Right? And then we have people in this room that are parents. You're old enough to be parents. And so I truly believe that God is a God of generations. And I think when we prioritize family, we have to know that this is what Proverbs 13, 22 says. It says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children or for their grandchildren. It doesn't just say a good person leaves an inheritance for their children. It says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And I think that when we think about inheritance, a lot of times the first thing that pops into our head is money. And it is about that. Like in the context, it is most certainly about money because the verse right after it says, and the rich rule over the poor, right? And I know that's kind of heavy on that side, but it's true. That God is a God of generations. We are to leave an inheritance for our children and their children. But how many of you know or would say, like, you were not always thinking about the next generation when you make decisions. How many of you would admit that? That sometimes your, your, your decisions are selfish. And so let me kind of tell you what goes into the decision-making around here. Number one, what has God told us to do? And then number two, we ask the question, how does this impact the people coming after us. We structure this service in mind of the people who serve over there in the kids' department. We don't want them with children for three hours. We structure our services because we are, not only are we mindful of that some of our kids are crazy, mine being the leader of the crazy train, <laughs> 
And, but we are mindful that, hey, what they are learning over there is important and it does matter. And the seeds that are being sown into their heart now will come to fruition one day. But that means that we have to have a plan for over there. So we have a plan for over there. Everything that we do here, we always have the next generation in mind. And so a lot of times that we don't think like this, though, especially personally, we don't think like this. But I think it's important that you should think like this, because here is what we know from the text that I read. The next generation, your children, will wear your garments. Whatever you have on you, you will pass that down to your children. And it doesn't say, I love the text because it doesn't say that, that your children might wear your garments. No, your children will wear your garments. It doesn't say that they will wear the garments that you want them to wear, that you think they should wear, or that you read about what good personality traits they should have and they're going to wear those. They will not wear those garments. They will wear the ones that you pass down to them. And if you say that family is a priority to you, then what you pass down has to be a priority to you. It has to be a priority to you. It has to matter to you. Like the way that you live your life has to matter. It has to matter to you because the next generation will wear your garments. They will wear what you wear. One of the things that I think is so important for me to note is that the reason why that we have a way of life and ways of life at this church is to be sure that you are wearing the right garments. It's to get you into a rhythm and a way of life so that God can move in your life and you can wear the garments that you're supposed to wear, right? You can take upon Jesus's yoke. You can take upon the robe that he puts on you when he grafts you into the kingdom of God. You can wear that garment, right? I think it's so important that people are like, well, what is a way of life and, and why do I need to live it and all of that stuff? Here, here's the reality. The way of life and the ways of life at this church are not for God. They're not for God. They're for you. Our ways of life do not hold God together. They hold us together. Our rhythm of life does not make God God. It makes us and it takes our attention and turns it to God to allow him to do whatever he wants in us. This is what... This is what Mark chapter 2 says. It says that, that the Sabbath was made for man, not for God. The Sabbath was made for man, not for God. God doesn't need you to be in a way of life. You need to be, a way in, a, you need to be in a way of life with God. You doing certain things doesn't make God God. You not doing certain things doesn't make God God. What it does do, though, is create space and margin in your life so that God can move and mold you and shape you into the person that he's called you to be. And so when we say that we prioritize family, if you're taking notes this morning, here is the first note. And I'm actually going to preach a whole, maybe even series or, or two messages on this. But if you say that you prioritize family... If you say that, which I hope that you do, I hope you love your family, I hope you love your kids, I hope you love your spouse. Um, if you say that you prioritize family and you know 
that you will hand your children what you wear, I think that when we say that we prioritize family, everything starts on the foundation of a great marriage. Everything starts on the foundation of a great marriage. Listen, you need to be asking the questions, these questions within your marriage. How can I be sure that I am becoming the husband that I need to be for my wife? And how in my marriage am I becoming the wife that I need to be for my husband? Listen, the greatest thing that you can do for your children, the greatest gift that you can give them is a solid marriage. It's the greatest gift that you can give them. Do you know, I'm not joking, almost, I would say almost 100% of the time, the people that I meet with on the regular basis who are the most dysfunctional grew up in a broken home. Why? Why does that matter? Because your kids will wear your garments. They will wear your dysfunction. And that's important to note that inside of a family, when we say that we prioritize family, it is so important that it starts with a husband and a wife who love each other passionately. Your kids need to know that there is scheduled date night. There is scheduled date night. Why is the babysitter coming? Because me and mom are going on a date, right? That's what, Katie says, yes, amen, amen. You need to have, within your marriage, you need to have great communication. You need to communicate with your spouse, right? Don't be giving people the cold shoulder. That's what three-year-olds do. Stop doing that. Suck it up, get over yourself, and communicate with your spouse. You got to. If you want it to be healthy, you got to. Me and Anna don't have any problems having conflict. Shocker. Because we both are very opinionated, very opinionated. We, yesterday, were talking about going to Disney, and I, for the life of me, I had to surrender all of my rights. This is what marriage is. <laughs> Let me just tell you, Mar- this is what marriage is. We are gonna be driving to Disney World, okay? I want to fly to Disney World, but guess what? I was passionate about flying to Disney World. And guess what? It doesn't matter. (laughs) We're driving. And I am going to have to settle that within myself from now to December. It's plenty of time. That's right, Jordan's like, it's plenty of time. I have, yes, surrender. Husbands, let me give you some advice. Just surrender. Just surrender. Just tap out. Wes says no. Wes says no. There's a few things, me and Anna, when our communication styles are different, and that causes conflict. She needs time to think. She is a, she is a collaborative decision maker. I am a competitive decision maker. I am a competitive fighter. And so there's fighting styles inside of marriage. I'm a competitive fighter. I want to, like when she says something that I don't like, my first instinct is say something that she's really not going to (laughs) like. And if you do that in your marriage, it will be awful. 
It will be awful. You are supposed to be fighting for each other and with each other and against the issue. And so if you want to bless us with some flights so it doesn't have to come out of my bank account, baby, David, you got us. Amen. We are calling people into a way of life. One of those ways of life is prioritizing family. You've got to prioritize your marriage. It has to be a big deal to you because you will pass down your garments. You will. Listen, when we think about what we will pass down, all of the things that we will pass down, all of the things that will come after us, we need to think through what we want those things to be. You need to be intentional about the garments that you wear. Here's the good news. If you have had garments passed to you, and what I mean by this is dysfunction from your parents and your grandparents and your family passed down to you, as a Christian, you get to choose if you wear those or not. Do you remember when David was going to fight Goliath? Saul tried to clothe him in garments that weren't his. And he rejected them. And listen, the good news about following Jesus is, is all of the garments you do not want to wear, he will take from you. Right? This is what Jesus is saying even in Matthew 11. He says, take upon my yoke, my way of life, and this is going to be easy. But it's not easy trading in garments of dysfunction because a lot of times it's comfortable. We are comfortable a lot of times in our dysfunction because it's certain. And people value certainty. But if you ever want to be the person that God made you to be, you have to take the risk of taking those garments off and letting God love you in a way so that you can pass down garments to your children that will be valuable. And so when I was praying about this, I really was like, Lord, what do I think the next generation needs? And more than that, what do you think? And I was going to get real cheesy and just go with the uh, the fruits of the Spirit, preach about all those. But I wanted to be more specific. And I think that if we know that the next generation is going to wear our garments, our families are going to feel how heavy or light we are. Right? They're going to feel that. If we want that, if we are aware of that, and we want the next generation to live in a way that's not heavy, that's not burdensome, that's light, that's full of life, I think there's some certain garments that we need to clothe ourselves with, right? And so for now, I want you to forget about the garments that you need to take off because everyone has those. Everyone has issues that they don't want their kids to have to deal with. And I would say, if you're like, no, nope, I'm free of issues, I think you're lying. <laughs> I think you're lying. 
And so if you want, if we know that the next generation will wear our garments, what do we need to pass off to them? If you're taking notes, I think number one is faithfulness. The next generation needs, we need a baptism in faithfulness, right? We have, in every sense of the way, just, we value the wrong things, I think, in, in our generation. We value flakiness in a way. I was actually in a conversation with um, a friend of mine who is incredibly intelligent, and I asked him, I said, can you just begin to describe this generation? And, and, and a lot of times you don't need to listen to people uh, when they are labeling you, but he was not labeling um, our generation. He was just saying, here are some of the characteristics that I see. And he starts listing them off. And, and I remember this one specifically caught my attention. He says, we're flaky. We're flaky. We, we struggle with responding to messages that are sent. We struggle with calling people back. We struggle with showing up. We struggle. We are flaky. And I remember like in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he says, and the remedy to flakiness is faithfulness. The solution to you being flaky is you cultivating some faithfulness in your life. Listen, great faith can only come from faithfulness. Having great faith is more than a shout, right? It's more than a song. It's more than you being excited and telling a mountain to move. Because if you're honest with yourself, they haven't moved. Because we misinterpret that verse altogether, right? It's more than a song. It's more than just celebrating when you don't feel like it. Faithfulness is more than that. It's doing the right thing. It's moving slow in the same direction for a long period of time. Moving, let me, let, me, let me say this again. It's moving slow in the same direction for a long period of time. You mean to tell you part of our problem? We get bored. And so we feel the need to do all different sorts of things to fill that boredom. And let me tell you this. Following Jesus is sometimes very boring. And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's, every service is not going to be one where people are hanging from the rafters. That's not what this is. That's not what following Jesus is. Listen, faithfulness is moving on through tears that you tell nobody about. Right? Faithfulness. It's not throwing in the towel on all of your faith that you've held up until this point. That is unwise. When you say, everything that I grew up in church knowing is wrong, I promise you, you are wrong. Everything was not wrong. Not everything. Could you have been hurt by the church? Yes. Most people have been. Welcome to the club. We are all people who have been hurt by someone else who belonged to the body of Christ at some point. Welcome to the club. Faithfulness is when we see by faith God in the middle of situations that we don't think that he's in the middle of. 
That's what faithfulness is. Is that over time, you began to let go of all of the things in your world and in your life that are issues, problems, whatever you want to throw in there, and you find God in the middle of everything. If you are not finding God in the middle of even moments in your life, I would encourage you to look again because he's there. This is why community is so important because community helps you see him. They point you to where he's at. But if you isolate yourself and then say, oh, I can't find God anywhere, and then you blame it on the church, that is craziness. You isolate yourself. You say things like, leave us alone. We don't want, we don't want to be a part of a church right now. That's okay. We will give you that space here. But you cannot blame us when you can't find God because that is what community is for, is that when you can't see him, there are people around you who can. Don't quit on everything because one thing was bad. And also, let me say this, bad is relative. Hurt is relative. Pain is relative. All of that stuff is, depends on who you ask. I heard someone say, I was hurt by the church. I asked them why. It was literally, this was the only thing why. The pastor preached a sermon that I disagreed with. You have not been hurt by the church. You have just experienced this awesome thing we call life. That you are going to have disagreements with people in life. Welcome to it. But we need to hand off faithfulness. We need to show our kids that faithfulness is valuable. You need to show your kids that we are going to be faithful to come to church every week. They should be asking you why we're not going. You should include them in this way of life. Beckham has asked four times this week, went to the door. He's like, church, church. I'm like, dude, I work at the church. Get over there and watch some movie or something. I want to go to church. I'm like, dude, get over there and watch cars. Like for the 19th billionth time. Lightning McQueen, baby. Woo. Ka-chow. That's right. Amen. Beckham just gave extra this morning in the offering in the kids' department. Listen, if you want to pass off something worth having, pass off faithfulness. Listen, here's the next thing. If you want to pass off something worth having, you need to pass off hope. You need, your kids need to know that in spite of everything going on in my life, I am hopeful that things can change. That's what hope is. It's just the belief that things can change. That's what it is. And listen, this is what Proverbs 13 says. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I do not like being around people who feel hopeless. Not speaking into my life. Now, if you're hopeless, I have good news. Things can change right? But when people are speaking into my life 
and telling me what the direction that I need to go. I do not like hopeless voices. I like voices that are full of hope that things can change. Listen, I believe that no matter what you are facing in your life, it can change. I believe it can change. I believe that Jesus steps into moments in your life when you least expect him and things change. I believe that when you can't pay the bills, things can change. I believe when you're fighting with your spouse all the time, things can change. I believe that when you have sin issues, blatant sin issues that you cannot shake, things can change. I believe when you're full of anxiety, things can change. When you're depressed, things can change. When you're suicidal, things can change. When you have envy in your heart and you hate yourself because you're not like the other people that you see on social media or whatever, I believe things can change. I want to hand off the belief to my kids that no matter where they are at currently in their life, if it's the worst season of their life, if it's the darkest moment of their life, I want there to be that little glimmer in their heart that knows things can change. Things can change. That's what hope is. It's just believing that things can change. And I want to pass that off. I want that to be a garment that I wear, that I pass off to my kids. Right? The third thing, if you're taking notes, you need to pass off the garment of peace. Listen, the promise that we have as believers in Jesus is peace that passes all understanding. That when we don't understand what's going on, we can have peace. And we can have joy. And we can be full of life. And I believe that when we're... They're just coming up on the stage. They're, they're okay. They're good. I believe that we live in a world where we don't really believe that peace is a promise from God. We are more likely to believe that anxiety is a promise from God because that's most of your reality. And you're depressed and you're sad and you don't know how things are going to work out. And that's creating something in your heart and it is not from God. Can I just say this very plainly this morning? I do not believe that it is the will of God now, please, let me, let me clarify this. I believe in getting help for mental health. But I do not that believe that it is the will of God for you to live depressed and anxious and suicidal and you hate yourself and you don't understand why and you're always conflicted and you never know what's going on. I do not believe that's the will of God. According to the New Testament, I, my promise from God is peace that passes all understanding that guards my heart and my mind. It guards my heart and my mind. Listen, this is what Philippians 4 says. It says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. And I think this is something that we don't do enough. Do you, like We quote this verse a lot, but I don't think that we practice this verse a lot because this is what it says. It says, tell God everything that you need. 
and then thank him for everything that you have? What if the answer to your anxiousness, your discontentment is gratitude? It's your honest with God. You tell God, hey, I am not happy about this. This is making me anxious. I'm suicidal. This is making me depressed. All, all of this stuff. But then you start to list off what you're thankful for. Like, I encourage you. I encourage you to do this. When you leave church today, just write down everything that you can think of in your life that you're thankful for in spite of whatever you're facing, in spite of whatever you're going through. Begin to thank God for every person in your life that you know that he's put there for a reason. And I believe that you will sense your anxiety start to fade. I believe you'll sense self-hatred start to fade. I believe you'll sense depression start to fade. Does it mean that it's going to cure it all in a moment? No. But I believe faithfully practicing that over time, I believe that is one of the key things that you can have in your life is that you intentionally tell God everything that you want and you thank Him for what you do have and you allow His peace to pass everything that you know or understand and you allowed it to guard your heart and mind. And I believe the last garment is love. If I want to pass down anything to my kid, if I want to pass down anything to my child, it's that he is deeply loved by God. He is deeply loved by God. You can stand to your feet with me. It is that in spite of behavior, He's deeply loved by God. It is, that, it is that in spite of everything that he may learn at school or no matter where he's at, that he is deeply loved by God. Our problem, I think most of the time, is that we genuinely do not understand how deeply we are actually loved by God. If we understood the love of God that 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 he has for us, that would change everything in our lives. And I think you have to, you have to understand that, listen, before that you can be in love with God, you have to know that you're deeply loved by God. This is what the New Testament says. He loved us first. So now we love. And I want to grow up in a church and raise people in a church that know that no matter where they're at in life, they are deeply loved by God. No matter how they feel in a moment, they are deeply loved by God. There is nothing that can change the way that God feels about you. No sin issue. Like you are not that big. You are not that important that you can change how God feels about you. You do not change God's feelings by actions, 
You do not change his feelings and you do not change his love. And some of you in the room have never felt the love of God in that way before. You've never heard that. You've never heard, oh, you mean that God's love doesn't change for me if I am living in open, blatant sin? Yes. You mean God's love doesn't change for me if I hate myself? Yes. You mean God's love doesn't change to me if I'm in an affair right now? Yes. You mean God's love doesn't change for me if I'm addicted to pornography? Yes. You mean God's love doesn't change for me if I am not real with God? Yes. That's what I mean. And people are like, that's a slippery slope. Yes, it is a slippery slope. It's supposed to be slippery. It's supposed to be radical. Like it's supposed to be countercultural. It has nothing to do with your behavior. That is, it, well, 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 how are you going to be sure that people live right with God? We are going to get them understanding how much God loves them. If we just try to modify everyone's behavior in the room, that is self-effort. That will lead to self-righteousness. If you change your behavior. Now, there's some things people may be doing in this room that's really stupid. You need to stop doing that. But I'm talking about those deep things within you. It's like, I don't feel like I can change. The answer is that you allow God to love you in the middle of that. That's the answer. And so this morning, this is what I want us to do. If you're in the room today, I want, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes all over the room. And I want you, if you just say, I just need to feel that love. I just need to feel that God is after me and he won't relent all fresh again. Maybe you say, I have felt that before in my life, but I'm in a place where I just need an encounter with Jesus. I need an encounter with Jesus. I need an encounter with the love of God. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand right where you're at. I need an encounter with Jesus. Lift your hand and keep it up. So Father, this morning, I just thank you that you see every hand in the room and you see every heart in the room. The ones that are maybe too afraid to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to get real in this moment and I'm going to say I need to experience the love of God. God, you see every hand and you see every heart and Lord, I pray that you would begin to wash over them. I pray that you would be, begin to pour your love out on them. Father, I thank you that you see us right where we're at this morning. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. So I pray right now that you would touch the people in the room who need a touch from you. You would touch the people in the room that need a touch from you. You love me and what a friend.
you would begin to heal hearts all over the room that need to experience your healing. You begin to heal souls all over the room that need to, to experience wholeness. Lord, I thank you this morning for who you are, what you're doing in our hearts and in our minds, Jesus. In our lives, in our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, you can stay in worship as long as you need to, or you can be dismissed, and we will see you next week at 10.30 a.m. I love you guys, and I will see you.